With the Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Okay, round two. Name something that's not boring. A laundry? Ooh, a book club. Computer solitaire, huh? Ah, oh, sorry. We were looking for Chumba Casino. That's right. ChumbaCasino.com has over 100 casino style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. ChumbaCasino.com. No purchases, prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Lucky Land Casino asking people what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car before my kid's PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. This is Football Social Daily, Premier League podcast. How you doing? I'm Niall and welcome to Monday's Football Social Daily. Or should we rename the podcast Sean Dyche Daily after the Everton boss worked a miracle on Merseyside, too good for top of the league Arsenal and a massive three points in the fight against relegation. It pulls Everton closer to safety, but the same can't be said for one of the best managers in Europe, Southampton's Nathan Jones. Perplexed? More on that shortly. And it's a double ton for Harry Kane in the Premier League as the striker hones in on Alan Shearer's goal-scoring record at the expense of Manchester City. Welcome to Football Social Daily, your Premier League podcast from the Sports Social team. And joining me today in the studio, Joel Tudor and Jim Salverson. Morning, boys. Good morning, Niall. How are you feeling, Jim? You feeling good? I'm all right, although I had a bit of a messy weekend. Ooh. Just finished dry January after a month off the booze and made up for it big time on Saturday. <laughs> so, so. Drank 31 days Just worth of beer in one afternoon. I, I didn't make West Ham Newcastle. I, did, I, did. I, was, I, was, I was not able to watch football by that point. It's a shame. It was 5.30 kickoff on a Saturday. Yeah. Did that game finish 0-0 in the uh, end? 1-1. 1-1. So I was going to say, it's a shame that it, it did finish 1-1 because you would have had plenty opportunity here today to absolutely yep. get stuck into Marley who's not here I'll take a 1-1 so, <laughs> that's a decent result though well, I'm happy with that it is a good result particularly considering some of the other fixtures across the weekend in the Premier League but we're going to focus at the bottom of the table shortly when it comes to that relegation picture as Everton with a massive win over Arsenal implications at both ends of the table but before we do that we need to Start Monday with our usual Monday moan and get in the sea. This is our chance to basically cast off anything that's wound us up over the weekend into the deep blue. So, Joel, I'll come to you first. What's been getting your back up from the Premier League this weekend? There's a lot that's been getting my back up over the weekend, to be honest. <laughs> um, I was going to go down the VAR route, but I know it's going to be covered quite extensively, so I'll leave that to the side for now because I'll just get a little bit heated around that topic. Um <laughs> But it's what getting the seas all about, exactly, Joe. Exactly, exactly. Um, I was probably going to go with Jurgen Klopp and it's become a bit of a recurring theme in his managerial 
characteristics, mm. which is that when he's got his back up against the wall, he turns into the most pessimistic, defensive, petty, vile, Spiky. petty. Keep keep giving the adjectives, mm. keep going. Like honestly, is there's a long stream of them. Do you know what the and one adjective I should use is gutted because Jim's gutted that you've thrown Jurgen Klopp in the sea, which means that he can't do it for the four hundred fiftieth time oh, right, on this right, show. Right, yes. I mean, he's kind of. <laughs> You say it's when his back is against the wall, and he is at his worst when his back is against the wall, when he kind of gets spiky and angry yeah. and tries to throw way. blame around to other people. But there's, there's hints of that all the time when he's winning as well. If you think back to Liverpool's winning, and I'm getting slightly off your point here, but when you think back to Liverpool's winning season, when there were blips in results, there was always an element of that. Whenever there was a through. loss. But now it's just Liverpool are so bad and losing 3 0 Wolves at the weekend, unexpected result. It's just, it's constantly there on the surface I mean we've come a long way from the start of the season where he was blaming a witch for a defeat I can't remember which one that was there's been that many de- defeats for them this season wind but... against Burnley a couple of years ago Yeah, <laughs> pitch was a bit too high pitch was in terms dry of the grass yep. gr- dry. pitch was dry all humidity yeah. uh, but it's just like Jim said it's not just it's, it's every time his team suffers some kind of roadblock he never uh, to be fair, on this occasion, he accepted accountability where he said there's no excuses, which for the first time, my God, there must be a second coming coming because you know, that that's, is crazy. Is that not the third time? They lost 3-0 to Wolves, by the way, if you're not sure of the result, Liverpool. But is that not the third time in recent matches that they've conceded three goals? They've been beaten pretty handsomely. Without, without their matches. leader, Virgil van Dijk, at the back, like Jurgen Klopp said, it's like nobody's capable of taking the reins from him. But why not? Mo, it, Mo Salah signed a new deal on 400 grand a week. Where's he gone? Where's he been this season? Every, everyone's gone from there. It's, it's not. It stems from just a lot in that team, and I think it's the fact that they've not regenerated when they needed to. When you know, for example, Manchester City were constantly, even though they win, they would regenerate the side consistently. Now you've got Jurgen Klopp in a situation where Thiago's fallen off a cliff, Fabinho's fallen off a cliff. We saw it coming, though. This is the issue. I mean, Thiago was meant to be a two to three year player. He was already on like the cusp of coming mm. down from his peak from Bayern. Fabinho didn't see this coming. And then you've got Jordan Henderson, who's literally on his last legs like a racehorse that but he needs to be put down. <laughs> it's like, that, that, that's the situation. They're in and now they're relying on a kid and forcing him to become this defensive midfielder yeah. that I don't think he's ever going to mm. be. I do think there's it's a strange. lot of factors at play at Liverpool. And I'm sure some of the fans of Liverpool listening to this podcast will be screaming at the show going, what about the owners? They're trying to sell the club. We didn't buy a midfielder in January. We really needed one. It's not Jurgen Klopp's fault. I get that. But when it comes to Jurgen Klopp, I don't know whether I'm giving him a bit of a pass here, Jim, but it feels like he's so competitive and hates losing so much that he does come across as this sore loser. And I don't think there's anything wrong with being a sore loser. I just don't think well, it, it... It grates a bit, doesn't it? I think, I think you can you can be angry when your team loses but you can be angry to, when your team loses without being insulting, rude and aggressive towards other people. And I think the thing you're specifically talking about, Joel, is the way Jurgen Klopp handled a question in his press conference. Mm. Where, I totally got off my point. I yeah. was going so crazy into that. But he, he kind of like, basically, there was a journalist said, asked a question, he was like, oh no, I'm not asking you a question from you, I'll ask it from somewhere else. And yeah. then someone else mm. asked it and he was like, then he answered it. It's just petty. And it's just, these are the people he should be working with every day. And I don't know what the beef is between him and that journalist. or Instead of something he wrote, I'm guessing he was... Yeah, but th- this guy... Be professional, the and journalist, that's unprofessional. I should remember his name really. James Pierce. James Pierce, thank you. He's from The Athletic and has 
written many glowing references of Jurgen Klopp's style and what he's done at Liverpool over the years. And so it's only fair, I think, as a journalist to do your job when things are going well at Liverpool. He wrote about things that were being done well. Now mm. things aren't going well. He's written about things that aren't going well. I don't think that's unfair. It's part of the parcel of being a football manager. You've got to take it. You've got to take the criticism as well as the plaudits. Mm. And he seems unca- incapable of doing that. And then adjacent to that, he also said Wolves' third goal didn't count. And then the Twitter account put the full-time score as 2-0 instead. Oh, really? <laughs> yeah. So petty, I like, I like that. that. I love that. Talking of pettiness, I don't know if you saw this, but there was a bit of a spat between two League One clubs at the weekend, MK Dons and Bristol Rovers. Absolutely brilliant. MK Dons had sold 300 tickets for their trip to Bristol Rovers and the day before the game, this is all allegedly, according to the club's social media channels, allegedly asked for more tickets the day before the game and Bristol Rovers went, you've not given us enough time we're not doing it, and then went to post a Twitter thread of all of the rules of the EFL as to why they were right and MK Dons were wrong, (laughs) Um, which was quite funny. And uh, then Bristol Rovers on the morning of the game ramped it up another level by tweeting, kickoff has been delayed by 15 minutes to allow all of the MK Dons fans into the, oh wait, no, kickoff's still at three o'clock because there's only 300 fans. Obviously trying to make a joke of it, Mm. MK Dons took the lead after one minute and tweeted, probably should have delayed kickoff lads it was absolutely brilliant i just love that little bit of uh, twitter beef between two league one clubs but jürgen klopp's going in the sea in he goes for some of his press conference comments and press conferences with managers have been certainly worth a watch over the weekend jim because nathan jones the southampton manager after their three nil defeat to Mm. brentford has also been making some rather peculiar comments. Well, I was going to read the quote from Nathan Jones and see if you could guess who it was actually, but I'll read it anyway because it doesn't sound like the Nathan Jones that manages Southampton that would say something like this. Statistically, there weren't better managers than me around Europe in terms of clean sheets, defending the box, balls into the box, XG and all those things. There's Nathan Jones talking like he's prime Pep Guardiola and yet Southampton currently... One win, I think it is, in the Premier League since he took charge back in November. And it wasn't so much him going, oh, I was really good before I came to Southampton that annoyed me about his post-match press conferences at the weekend. It was more the fact, again, it goes back to the Jurgen Klopp thing, mm. a failure to take accountability, a failure to take responsibility. And he gave this big speech where he was basically going, it's my fault, it's on my shoulders, I'm yeah. to blame, and then gave all the reasons why he wasn't to blame. Yeah, and <laughs> then like... he started using language like they... Yeah. in terms of referring to the players. They, almost absolving and himself of us, all yeah. responsibility, even though you're right, he came out and he said, it's my responsibility. Some of the them and us language that he was using, Joel, like you say, absolutely shows that well, he's he almost said, keen to kind of abscond himself of any it, culpability. He, was, he said he had to sacrifice his playing style, sacrifice his principles because of certain personnel. And it, it's kind of like, I suppose you could interpret that in different ways. Could that be that... He had to play a different way because he didn't have the players that he needed. Is He's having to play a different way because the players don't want to play the way that he wants to play or the way he played at Luton. Because I think when he was at Luton, and it was always going to be a risk for Southampton bringing up Nathan Jones from the lower divisions and from a limited amount of success with Luton Town. But they did have a reputation for playing relatively nice, fluid football. Well, they did really well. I mean, as someone who supports a lower league team, Luton came from the conference up to League Two, up to League One, up to the Championship and breezed past my team, who've mm. been sort of stagnating in the third division for ages. And, you know, we were all 
big admirers of the way Luton played, but the manager was not someone who anyone really warmed to. He's been the same for years. Even when Luton were in League One, any time they would lose a game, he would come out with some sort of excuse. He's just a horrible, whiny person to well, listen to. It just seems to. that way. And these statements, these comments, it feels like an attack on the players. And when you're bottom of the Premier League and you're slowly being cut adrift into the relegation zone, and it looks like Southampton are done for, it looks like they could well go down this season, although it's one of the closest relegation battles I think we've seen in years at the end of the season. I don't think we'll see anyone particularly cut adrift, but it looks like they are going to go down. You want to kind of rally the troops. What, you what, want to build a togetherness, not start pointing fingers and go, well, we're not playing the way I want to play because you're not good enough, which feels like what he's doing. So Nathan Jones can get in the sea for me. Absolutely with you. Um, although I'd rather keep him dry because as long as he takes Southampton down, I'll be a happy man. Um, some really bizarre comments. Actually, this morning it's been reported that Southampton's ownership has met with Nathan Jones over this strange press conference and that his future is not immediately under threat, but certainly it is being considered whether he was the right man at the right time. There's no doubt that, as he mentions somewhat arrogantly, mm. um, that he was one of the best managers in Europe, no doubt that he did a really good job at Luton. Was he the right man to replace Ralph Hasenhurtl for Southampton at the right time? There's another question in itself. The thing you got to remember as well is we're in February, right? And it feels like we're approaching the end of the season. It kind of feels like, oh, there's no point in making a change now. I was thinking about this with Leeds United because Leeds United are mm. not performing with Jesse Marsh. It's like, yeah. do you make a change now? Well, it's so close to the end of the season. It's a bit of a risk. We're only halfway through. Yeah, it's, there's still, there's still mm. what, 18 games left of the season? This still month plenty of time. February looks absolutely mental, by the mm. way, in terms of the fixtures. Any clubs that are in European competition are going to be playing Thursday, Sunday, Thursday, Sunday for the next however many weeks. And then you've got the FA Cup to throw in there as well. Loads of games going on. And of course, we'll try and keep on top of them all here on Football Social Daily. But Jim is casting Nathan Jones into the sea. In he goes. And for me, I'm going to... I'm going to be a little bit controversial here, but that's what getting the sea is all about, isn't it? And I don't know whether you'll agree with this, Joel, as a Manchester United fan. I'm going to throw into the sea all of the Manchester United fa fans that think that Casemiro did not deserve to be sent off. I was lucky enough to be at Old Trafford for the game against Crystal Palace at the weekend. And the incident took place on the other side of the stadium, the other side of the pitch, to where I was sat. And I had the benefit of replays and monitors and I saw the VAR go through their decision, which of course you don't get as a supporter at Old Trafford mm. because there's no big screen. But I managed to see exactly what the referees were looking at. And I knew someone was going to get sent off. It just had that feel about it. You know, it had that feel that someone was going to get red carded because there was a lot of pushing and shoving. Um, I thought Anthony was going to be one of the players that got sent off for Man United. Fred was involved. Are you was involved for Palace? I didn't see Casemiro grabbing Will Hughes by the scruff of the neck. Now, the camera angles might suggest that it wasn't a strangle, as some people are saying, or a, a double-handed choke. Um, what you can't deny, though, is that he had his hands close to Will Hughes's throat and he was lifting his shirt up. And a lot of people saying, oh, he was taking him away from the argument. I think when Casemiro realises, oh, God, I forgot about the fact that VAR exists. I'm going to let go of his shirt. I'm going to let go of his shirt. I think then he got a little bit sheepish. He knew straight away, the way he was looking at the ground, that he was going to be sent off, right? Now, whether it was malicious or not, or he didn't mean it, I think is irrelevant. I think the fact is you cannot do that in modern game. Yeah. You can't do it. And Casemiro's paid the price. I'm not entirely sure how Manchester United fans can justify that not being I, a red card. I don't card. understand. I've got, two gri I've got two gripes with it. The first one is the consistency of it. Right, because I, I get it was this. A it was a melee. I get it. 
I get it, but the, the, this is what I'm trying to throw into the sea here. Because Aryu should have been sent off for choking Fred, because whoever went and tried to slap Rafa Varane in the face, I can't remember which Crystal Palace player it was, because they didn't get a red card, doesn't mean that Casemiro doesn't deserve no. to be sent off. Yes, the referees had a bit of a stinker and VAR have had a bit of a shocker by not picking up the other two incidents, which are annoying Manchester United fans. I think they're two separate things. Casemiro still should have been sent off. I agree, so should the Palace players that did wrong, but that's just bad refereeing. I think you look you look at the video and you look at the pictures and if you look at a still, as, as happens all the time in football, if you see a certain angle or you see mm. a certain picture... It looks really bad and Casemiro has got his hands around Will Hughes's neck. It's aggressive and he deserves a red card. What I would say, and I'm not defending it because I think he should have been sent off because that's the rules of the game. If you lift your hands up, yeah. if you put them anywhere I mean, near it, a player's the, face. The term is violent conduct. I'm not yeah. sure how violent it is scruffing someone if, by their shirt. If you raise your hands, you can't that's do it. Though, that's you? a red card. Yeah. That's You accept that. That I is agree. the rules. But you watch the video and it almost like Will Hughes and Casemiro have a bit of a smile afterwards. They have a bit of a joke. And I don't think if it was truly aggressive, it was a truly kind of proper grabbing you by the throat, I'm going to kill you. It was almost like restraining. It wouldn't have it was, that. It was almost restraining yeah. my, the perspective that I took. And I don't like the fact that when he was got, getting shown the replay, they, they slowed it down that much. It made it seem like an eternity, mm. even literally grabbing him by the neck. I mean, it doesn't take doesn't take away I mean, the fact they had him around the neck. It's I a think... it's a red card, but it's not an assault. Which Gabby yeah, Abongahor yeah. on top yeah. sport said he should have been arrested. Yeah, it's it's like Tenag said at the end of the game: if you're going to red card Casemiro, you got to look at the whole incident. Yeah, then, I, which I understand. Fact. I totally understand. But that doesn't mean what Casemiro did no, no, was it's not red card worthy. Which is that's the kind of point I'm trying to make. But I think Eric Tenag, what he said was interesting because he said you want your players to be up for it. You want your players to be defending each other. The only thing I'm thinking is I thought Marcel Sabitzer was brilliant by the way when he came on off the bench the new signing for Man United but what I would say is Casemiro is obviously hugely important to the Manchester United midfield he's going to miss three games now Leeds Leicester and Leeds again I think wow. are the three games that he's going to miss um, but you know with Eriksen being injured McTominay being on the sidelines Casemiro is now going to miss three games if Fred who was heavily involved in that melee as well if he had got sent off too where would that have left Eric Ten Hag in terms of his midfield options, he would literally have just had Sabitzer and Bruno Fernandes available for the next game. But you know what? If you were Eric Ten Hag and you had to pick three games where you were missing key players for, mm. you you probably might even select Leeds and Leicester as the I, opposition. I, I, I know, you? I get that. But the Leeds thing is obviously Manchester United have quite a uh, sort of yeah. rivalry with Leeds. So maybe Casemiro is the sort of player who you'd want in the mix. I mean, why wouldn't you? He's been outstanding. But... Certainly deserved a red card for me. So into the sea that goes. And that concludes our Monday moan for this week on Football Social Daily. If there's anything you want to talk about or want us to talk about indeed on the podcast, you can fire us some questions. Let us know on social media. It's at FSDpod on Twitter. That's the best way to get in touch with us. Just send us a DM because on a Thursday on the podcast, we answer your questions. So send them into us and we'll tackle them as best we can. But next up on today's show, we're going to talk about Everton and Sean Dyche because it was almost inevitable that they were going to win their first game in charge. The interesting thing is that it was against Arsenal. More on that after this. Lucky 
Lucky Land Casino asking people what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car before my kids' PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Lucky Land Casino. Asking people, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car before my kid's PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Welcome back. This is FSD Football Social Daily. I'm Niall, Jim and Joel are with me in the studio. And this weekend, all eyes were on the 12.30 Saturday kickoff. Whilst Jim was getting absolutely steaming, Everton ended up beating Arsenal by a goal to nil. Sean Dyche's first game as manager of Everton Football Club. It was at Goodison Park and they performed very, very well. James Tarkovsky's goal on the 60-minute mark was the difference against the league leaders. I mentioned before the break there that it was inevitable that Everton were going to win, Joel. Did you feel that way as well? I just got that vibe that, of course, it's going to be an Everton win. Sean Dyche in the building and he got the job done. Yeah, I think the writing was on the wall, wasn't it? It was just the most unfortunate game that Arsenal could have played with a new manager bounce at Goodison Park with a manager who just got everything stripped, everything back to basics, had to do bleep tests and putting <laughs> shin pads on in training. He's like, banned that's when snoods you... as well. Did you hear about this? <laughs> really? Sean Dyche has banned snoods. His words... It's gone up in my estimation. You can't wear 14 snoods whilst playing a game, <laughs> so why would you do it in training? That's <laughs> the most bizarre thing ever. But if it works for him, and it clearly worked uh, the weekend because they looked like a different side in terms of their just found the foundations were back again. It felt like under Lampard, they looked a little bit tame. When he went to Goodison, it looked like a pretty nailed on victory for away sides. And now I think if any of our sides would go to Goodison Park, you know, you're going to get a really difficult game. And even the Arsenal fans, I know that Arsenal didn't play entirely well, but I don't know if that's cause or effect of Everton just completely uprooting everything and starting from scratch because I know Neil Mope at the end of the game he bumped into Rio Ferdinand in the car park just after it it was very impromptu and he he said pretty like explicit things which was that under Lampard it just felt like a lot of players didn't click and this is the paraphrase a lot of players didn't click and now a lot of players feel they have more to prove under the manager because we feel like we have to work harder Mm. and it just it showed in every aspect on the pitch and I think for Everton, they needed that kind of catalyst win against Arsenal because, yeah. I mean, to beat the league leaders, I think that'll go on and just save them. Yeah. They'll look back at this victory at the end of the season. I think I think they'll be safe now. And they'll look back and think that was the game that changed the mentality of the club. I wonder with Lampard, and this is pure speculation, but I remember an interview with, I can't remember if it was an interview with Paul Scholes, whether it was an interview with someone talking about Paul Scholes in his time at Oldham. And obviously Paul Scholes, absolutely world-class player and just didn't work in management because he expected the players he was coaching just to know what to do. Yeah. He was like, you, because he, he came at it from his point of view of his mentality, mm. he was one of the greats and he expected yeah. his players to be on the same level as him and it wasn't that case. I wonder with someone like Lampard, 
world-class player mm. going into a team like Everton that needs to be drilled and needs to be yeah. organised that he just wasn't able to communicate with that level of player almost. Well, it's what, true. what was interesting was what Sean Dyche said in his pre-match press conference, which came a couple of days after the closure of the transfer window. And all of the journalists were like, why haven't you brought anyone in? And Sean Dyche said, well, I like to bring in players who are better than what we've already got. And he said, we've actually got some quite good players here at Everton, mm. but they're either low on confidence or not performing for whatever reason. And he didn't divulge any more than that. But I thought that was interesting. So he clearly feels that even though they didn't sign anyone in the January transfer window, there's enough there for him to work with. And as Joel says, he was always going to go back to basics. He defended the box really, really well against an Arsenal side who have been flying recently. Joel thinks that that's the catalyst for Everton to get out of trouble. Winning one game is fine, even if it is against Arsenal, but they need to keep the momentum going, don't they? Because as you mentioned, that relegation fight looks really tight this year. There was a brilliant video that was doing the rounds on social media. I don't know if you've seen it. Sean Dyche talking about, I think it was from his time at Burnley, about his defensive mentalities playing football and how he likes to drill his back four to protect the V coming yes, out yeah. from the goal to the, the byline and how he wide players press. And you watch the game against Arsenal. And it's exactly what he's describing yeah. as happening for that Everton team. So I think that side of it, in terms of defensive solidity, Everton are all right. And they've got decent defensive players. They can stop conceding goals. Like People like James Tarkovsky is a great defender that Sean Dyche knows. Jordan Pickford, despite his erratic form for Everton, is a good goalkeeper. We know that from his England performances. So he's got the players he needs. What he doesn't have, and I think this will continue to be a challenge for Everton, a goals. Because we know Everton have got a problem for the last two, three seasons with scoring goals. Calvert-Lewin doesn't seem to be as prolific as he seems to have a reputation mm. for being. I think he scores one in three, which just isn't enough for a single striker. Second lowest in the league for goals scored as well as a team. Yeah, and where are the goals coming from? You look at the team that played at the weekend and... There just aren't any goals in that team. Well, that's set pieces be would be well, the answer to that, I wouldn't it? I think that's it. I mean, that's it. I think we're going to see Tokoski and Cody just getting their heads on a lot of stuff and just like... <laughs> that's that's just in there. Dream, and you know what I thought was brilliant as well? Ben Mee, who of course used to play for Burnley under Sean Dyche, scored an absolutely thumping header against yeah. Southampton for Brentford. Brilliant header and he in nearly knocked himself out in the <laughs> process as well. Tarkovsky and Ben Mee both scoring headers this weekend. I think it says a lot. Um, Sean Dyche, well, what a performance from him. Back to basics. Everton looked like a completely different team. As for Arsenal, um, poor from them. And actually, let me go back. Southampton lost as well, which is a big blow for them, which means that, you know, that gives Everton even more leverage in terms of that fight for survival. As for Arsenal, poor performance from them, no doubt. But just the second defeat of the season... But given a bit of respite by the fact that Manchester City also lost in their game. So the gap remains five points. Arsenal in the lead with a game in hand over Manchester City, Joel. Is that a sign that it's Arsenal's season? It lucky, feels like lucky, all lucky, of the lucky, things lucky, lucky. are falling into place for Arsenal. I think it gives Arsenal a sign that they cannot let up. And that it's not a given that they're just going to maintain their position. Because I think... I think that result is probably a bit of a shock to their system because they probably went into they, they probably feel now a little bit of air of in, invincibility. Because let's not forget, before this game, the last time they lost in the league was October against United, and after that, they've been absolutely cruising past everyone. So I think that result was probably a reality check to Arteta as well. That no matter how well you're flying, you need to still not become complacent, no matter where you are. And I think like you both said, with the fact that City lost again yesterday, the third successive away defeat, sometimes you just think 
is this one of those stars aligning seasons mm. where their biggest competitor just cannot get some consistency? And around Manchester City, it feels like there's just so much underlying things that need resolving. You know, the likes of Cancelo going just before deadline day and the likes where people are now questioning Haaland whether he was the right signing after 25 goals and they can't <laughs> seem to find his best team anymore. There's a lot of unresolved conflict going on around City. I don't mean conflict as in people going at each other, but conflict with ideas, conflict with like what he wants to do. It feels like um, Guardiola's back at the drawing board again, which is unusual for a manager mm. like him. But yeah, for Arsenal, again, I'm always going to say it, it's not a done conclusion when you've got Manchester City chasing you because they've still got to play them twice. That's going to be huge, isn't the it? Ga- the that's, first that's, game's on the 15th of February The gap's five week. points. It's if nothing, City win the two games, they're a point ahead of Arsenal. If they win the one game and draw the next... If they get four points from that, I think we'll probably see a new Manchester City. I think they just need a bit of a psychological boost in this race, I think. I think you look at Arsenal and you've got to go at the weekend. I know it's it's difficult to say because they've done so well without Gabriel Jesus in the team since the World Cup. They've still managed to perform and they've still scored goals, but they looked like they missed him. Nketiah has been doing really well in that leading the line role, but he missed a guilt edge chance. See him blaze it straight him. into the Gladys Street end. Yeah, and, 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 and maybe a more a more mature striker, maybe that's the right phrase, a more established striker would have put that away and got them the point. So... Arsenal do have a small squad, and that's what Arteta wants. He wants a small squad to play with, but it doesn't take a huge amount to disrupt that squad. And I think that potentially could cause them problems. Well, last season, I remember talking about Arsenal and being impressed by them, but when they would lose, they would go on to lose two and then three in a row Mm. before pulling it back. When When they lost their first game this season against Manchester United at Old Trafford, it was a question of, can they bounce back? And they did. And they pretty much won all of their games after that. This is their second defeat, a difficult one to take against the team in the relegation zone. Can they pull it back? Can they recover? It's a very different Arsenal. It's a very different Arsenal to the one last season that went on that 10 game. I totally agree. But if you look at the fixtures, right, if they don't win at the weekend, 15th of February is their game at home against Manchester City. So that's Mm -hmm. a week on Wednesday. So say they've lost to Everton, say they don't get a good result. Maybe they draw this weekend coming up. Then they've got City on Wednesday and all of a sudden, Jules right, that gap is eroded. Yeah. So this next game on Saturday is absolutely huge. And in terms of losing a match, I mean, the only time it would have been worse for Arsenal to lose a game would be this weekend coming. Mm. Because, I mean, it's not so bad now. There's a bit of a gap. There's a game in between before they play City. But you don't want to be on a run of losing games, losing momentum, going into playing City. Mm. Because then the pressure is just cranked up tenfold. I think you're right. I think Joel's called it. It's like those games against City are going to be massive. I mean, Brentford, that's no pushover of a game either no. uh, particularly when you add in the fact it's a bit of a derby maybe more so for Brentford than for Arsenal but it's not a foregone conclusion yet and it's 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 an it's an interesting and scintillating title race isn't it it's like it's, it's two great teams playing together and it's exactly what we want it's exactly what we've missed yeah. in recent seasons when one team has just run away with it and the relegation picture as well being really tight and you know the European shake-up looks different with Fulham Brighton and Brentford all involved and Chelsea and Liverpool languishing yeah. in mid-table. So it's looking like an exciting Premier League season. What will happen, though, at the top end of the table? What will happen maybe in a couple of years' time? Manchester City lost yesterday to Tottenham Hotspur by virtue of Harry Kane's record-breaking goal. We'll talk about that after this here on FSD. FSD. 
Hello, it is Ryan, and we could all use an extra bright spot in our day, couldn't we? Just to make up for things like sitting in traffic, doing the dishes, counting your steps, you know, all the mundane stuff. That is why I'm such a big fan of Chumba Casino. Chumba Casino has all your favorite social casino style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere with daily bonuses. That should brighten your day, Lil. Actually, a lot. So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. That's ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. BTW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. Final part of today's Football Social Daily. Welcome back. This is your Premier League podcast from the Sports Social team. Now, we were about to talk about Manchester City. Their loss to Tottenham Hotspur and Harry Kane's subsequent record-breaking goal to see him hone in on Alan Shearer's record. We are still going to talk about that. But some breaking news, literally, that has just reached us during that break is that Manchester City have been accused of breaching financial rules by the Premier League itself following an investigation. A statement says that the Premier League has referred the club to a commission over alleged breaches between the 2009-10 and the 2017-18 seasons. So we're talking about something that's happened historically here. In 2020, City, of course, went to the Court of Arbitration for Sport. They had a ban from the Champions League for a couple of years. Uh, That was overruled after UEFA had ruled that City had committed serious breaches of FFP regulations between 2012 and 2016. So this has all we've got at the moment to digest, Jim, this small piece of information. The top line is that the Premier League has accused Manchester City of breaching the league's financial rules after an investigation. Now, UEFA did something similar to Manchester City a couple of years ago and banned them from the Champions League. Manchester City went to the Court of Arbitration for Sport and got it overturned. That's what we know at the moment. Uh, what do you make of this? Because this is a, it's an interesting one to chew on this morning. It's not great news for Manchester City, is it? I mean, they don't want anything that's going to distract them from business on the pitch and this is undoubtedly going to be a distraction. As to what they've done wrong or in breach of the rules, we just don't have the details at the moment. We've kind of got to wait and see what happens but the fact they've been through an investigation by UEFA over a similar period of time and let's not forget that the the rulings around UEFA they didn't find Man City innocent of breaching their financial rules they ruled there wasn't enough evidence to judge whether they breached it or not. Well this has never happened before the Premier League has never accused one of its own clubs of breaching financial rules after an investigation. We're in uncharted waters Mm. here. The Premier League have released a statement on their website with a list of all of the breaches. According to certain sources, the range of sanctions for Manchester City could be something like points deductions. As we've seen with Juventus. If if these breaches are proved. It's going Um, about 12 years though, isn't it? It is, but it's 100 charges from the (laughs) 2009-10 to the 17-18 season. Oh, so it's a culmination of those It's maybe 9-10 seasons or whatever it might be according to the Premier League. If Man City were to get a points deduction, <coughs> speculating, say they got deducted, what would you Juventus get deducted? 15 points. 15 points. Yeah. So 15 points, they're not going to get relegated. They're going to end up mid-table. If you were a City fan, would you take that 15-point deduction and for one season to have the club where it is now? Because if they have broken rules, that is undoubtedly contributed to the growth of the club in terms of bringing in players and the structure of that football team. But in terms of what they did between those two periods of time, you'd take it, wouldn't you? You'd go, all right, fine, we've been slapped on the wrist one season, forget about it, we go again. 
and it's established us as a football club, one of the one of the strongest football clubs in the world. Mm. It'd give Guardiola an excuse to throw the league, considering they keep throwing it themselves. <laughs> yeah. and, and it would also mean that Arsenal's league title win wouldn't be as sweet because Manchester City would have yeah. had a points deduction. And everyone win, win, everyone, everyone wins. Oh, yeah. <laughs> Everyone's a winner in this season. Right, I mean, we're laughing about it now, but we don't know too much more about that. That is literally just reaching us here at Football Social Daily that Manchester City have allegedly breached the Premier League's financial rules. Um, according to the league itself so we will keep you updated on that we should do a proper podcast like on tomorrow's podcast we'll get an expert on someone that knows about this stuff which is nice <laughs> yes yeah and there'll be a bit more time to digest it as well between now and then but let's talk about Manchester City on the pitch it wasn't a, a great day for them at the weekend either they lost to Tottenham Hotspur you've already mentioned what that might mean for Manchester City in the title race. But let's talk about Harry Kane because he was the star of the show. Spurs won by a goal to nil. Harry Kane with his 200th goal in the Premier League and his goal was enough to break Jimmy Greaves' all-time Tottenham scoring record as well. Almost poetic that he broke two records in one or at least reached two milestones with one goal. Alan Shearer, who's the all-time Premier League record scorer with 260 goals, is now just 61 goals away for Harry Kane, Jim. 20 goals a season for the next three seasons for Harry Kane means he breaks it. He's only 30. We've seen him do it before, mm. score 20 goals a season many, many times. Do you think he's on course to do it and become the record Premier League scorer of all time? I think it's inevitable that he is going to become the record Premier League scorer, bar some kind of horrific injury. The caveat there is, does he stay in the Premier League for the next? I don't think he'll do it in two seasons because... He has scored more than 20 goals previously, but he's not done it that consistently. Well, second place in the list is Wayne Rooney with 208, who many people widely regard as one of the best English players ever, if not one of the best strikers the Premier League has ever seen. He's on 208 goals. Harry Kane's going to beat Wayne Rooney. He's, he's going to well, at least be second. He'll beat shit. I mean, like you say, it'll be probably three seasons and he'll he'll surpass that record. But he needs to stay in the Premier League to do that. And we know this summer is going to be massive in terms of interest from elsewhere. So... Is he going to be tempted by a move to Real Madrid? So where, where does he rank, though? This is my question. Because Alan Shearer won one Premier League with Blackburn, went to Newcastle, never won anything else again. Mm. Got close a couple of times, a couple of FA Cup finals, ended up being pipped by Manchester United. Obviously, Wayne Rooney won it everything. Loads of leagues, Champions League. Harry Kane has now scored 200. He's going to go second. He's going to go past Rooney. We know that. He's never won... A trophy in mm. his career but he's the all-time England goal scorer as well one of the best Premier League strikers in terms of goals ever so where where does he rank is, is, it is he better than Shearer is he as, is he as good as Rooney is oh, he as good as Omri these are the debates that people have been having it's an interesting question isn't it because is it possible that Harry Kane is underrated because I think of it like if I think if so let's take Rooney out of the equation because I think Rooney was a very different player. He was kind of like a playmaker as well as a striker. He was a but magical Harry Kane's player. got loads of assists. This is the uh, yeah. this is the question, right? You talk about Harry Kane in terms of pure goals. Maybe maybe he is underrated. In in my head, he doesn't rank in the same world as Alan Shearer. But why not? Because I think I'm purely biased towards '90s football, <laughs> and I remember Alan Shearer from his days as an England powerhouse, and he's kind of got that iconic, legendary status. Almost like mythology. I don't know. I feel like with Kane, I feel like he is better than Shearer, especially because of what he's done for England in major tournaments as well. He's never really not shown up. But if you're talking on a Premier League basis, he's always going to have an asterisk on his name, always with people. And that's purely because if he gets the record and remains at Tottenham, everyone will always say, what were they for? Mm. 
What, well, what some people say the same to? about Steven Gerrard, don't they? Yep. You often hear Liverpool fans say Gerrard's though, the best he? Premier League player but ever. you still expect but to win a... Oh, if you've been in the Premier League for 15, 20 years, of yeah. course. And yeah, that's that's arguable because, I mean, when you see Scholes, for example, he was part of one of the most successful ever teams. So it's a bit of convenience. Obviously, he was a massive part of it. But I mean, you know... Uh, Cleberson and these kind of players, they also didn't yeah. play a part of it and they have medals. So <laughs> th- th- this this is the caveat around it. But for Kane, it it's purely what he values. Does he value retiring at his childhood club as the record scorer or does he value leaving, earning a trophy and will that mean more? It, I don't know what he values. It's, mm. it's purely up to him, isn't it really? I think he's, I think in the back of his mind, he's almost thinking... I don't want to leave just in case, for example, Pochettino returns or Conte goes on to do incredible things with Tottenham and I'm the one who doesn't get to do that with him. It's almost like a bit of FOMO. But it, I don't know. Yeah, I think you can't argue against Harry Kane being the greatest Premier League striker based purely on stats, though. If you look at the numbers, it's really difficult. If you take away trophies yeah. purely as a footballer, easily. And, and actually, easily. actually, if you're playing for a team that isn't performing at the yeah. same level, surely yeah, that's more of a challenge but than know, it is playing for a top team. I know Marley's not here, but let's just uh, visualise the spirit of Marley in that <laughs> empty chair over with there. His Greggs. <laughs> with his Greggs. With his Greggs and Newcastle shirt on. He would argue that Alan Shearer scored 30 goals prior to the Premier League when it was the old Division 1 before it became the Premier League. So, you know, yeah, actually, they were 42-game seasons as well, weren't they? They were. They were longer seasons, but, you know, Shearer still has goals prior to the Premier League's existence. So many people feel that Alan Shearer is actually discredited with a number of goals because 260 is the official Premier League number. He actually scored a number of goals in the seasons before that. Quite but crazy. as you say, if Harry Kane is going to be scoring 20 a season... Yeah, should, he should get there. Yeah, but, I mean, he'll probably the, exceed that total anyway. The other argument when it comes to Shearer is he spent a lot of time injured. I know Harry Kane's had problems with his ankles, but Shearer, I think, had some serious knee injuries, kept him out for a while. Um, I, and I know it's because of the... And commercial. he retired early. Alan Shearer retired yeah. early. So, you know, there's, there's a few things. If Harry Kane plays till he's 37... Like Cristiano Ronaldo, who turned 38 yesterday, Alan Shearer. He'll score. He'll score 300 Premier League goals, no doubt. Alan Shearer also had to completely reinvent his game when he picked up one of those knee injuries. He went from being a nippy, fast striker Mm. to kind of losing most of that pace and having to just rely on his strength. There's another question that some people have thrown into the mix: is when Alan Shearer was in his pomp, players were getting absolutely leathered the night before. Yeah, And, you know, the fitness wasn't there and the standards weren't as high. And I think that's true. That's not to discredit what Alan Shearer did, but I think it's more elite now, professional football. Mm -hmm. So there's a, you know, there's an argument for Harry Kane. I mean, I think if you go back and forth, you could easily find a debate for either players to who's the best and why. At the moment, Shearer leads the way in terms of numbers. But here's a question for you before we move on from Harry Kane. He might not win a trophy with Spurs if he doesn't. Fair enough. Joel, you're right. That caveat will always be there over his credentials. What if Harry Kane had won a Euros or a World Cup with England? Would oh, that would that have changed I mean, things? That goes into knighthood situations, doesn't it? Really, that takes him on a different in terms, of, in terms of we're talking now in the Premier League, we're talking Harry Kane doesn't win a Premier League, FA Cup, in terms League of Cup, his or Champions or League. Terms of yeah, so so I mean, we're talking about you know Joel says that there's always that asterisk there over Kane because he's not won anything. What if he had won a World Cup for England? It's not Premier League. What yeah. if he had won a Euros? What if he had you know, what if those penalties from Rashford and Saka and Sancho had gone in and England had beaten Italy and Harry Kane had won the Euros? I think we, you only we, have would to, we even be having this conversation? You only have to look back to the only time England have ever tasted success on the international stage in 1966 and the way those individuals are held up 
as footballing icons. Yeah. Like Jeff Hurst, for example, scored a fat hat-trick in the World Cup final, wasn't even the best striker in England at that point. Jimmy Greaves? Yeah, exactly. Ironically, who Harry Kane has just yeah, overtaken. Yeah, exactly. He, uh, Jeff, Jeff Hurst was only playing because Jimmy Greaves was injured because he broke his leg. in your country. Look at, look, just, oh, just look at Argentina. But that's Diego Maradona is yeah. a flipping god wherever he goes in Argentina. If Kane... Especially because he contributed so much to that Euros prior to was not winning, uh, well, to an extent. But he then scored some big goals in it against Germany, against Denmark. If we would have won that, there would have been no debate. Yeah. Because it, for a country as well, he's playing in it and he's consistently playing in it. It takes him to a different stratosphere, doesn't okay. it? It'd be, it'd be Sir Harry Kane, which Alan Shearer probably will never be. <laughs> that said, in terms of his mentality, I don't think it changes the point that he hasn't won the domestic trophy, he hasn't won the Premier League, because that's the trophy I think he wants, and that's the trophy he probably deserves as a player of his status. And can we all just say, blazing a penalty over against France in the World Cup quarterfinal, almost forgot about it. <laughs> I almost forgot about it, because of the way he's you responded. Just up a hell yeah. of he's come really back. bad pain. The way then, he's come then. back and scored goals. <laughs> um, no, fair play to yeah, Harry Kane. Man. 200 Premier League goals, 61 to go if he's going to break Alan Shearer's record. He has broken Jimmy Greaves' all-time Tottenham goal-scoring record. What a great player he is. We are watching one of the greats in the game. There's no doubt about that. And talking of Maradona, as Joel just mentioned, we're going to be talking to Trevor Stephen on the podcast in a couple of weeks. And he was on the pitch the day that Maradona produced the hand of God in 1986. No doubt we'll be asking him about that. So make sure you hit subscribe and that way you won't miss that episode with Trevor Stephen. You also won't miss our episode coming out later this week with a man who's won two Champions Leagues. Former United defender Wes Brown has been joining us in the studio, so we'll hear from him. But before we do go, Tottenham Hotspur, winners yesterday over Manchester City. Do they have enough to get into the top four? If so, who do they displace? At the moment, Newcastle and Manchester United are the two teams above them. I do think it has to be Newcastle. And even though they have a really admirable defensive record, they're starting to flounder a little bit in their uh, their record as a whole. They've only got one win in the last six and they're, they're drawing a hell of a lot of games. And even though that looks really nice for their defensive stats and, you know, they've only lost one game all season, true. But I would rather, you know, lose more games and have more points than draw all these games and slowly start falling down the table because this is gonna, this is the situation they're going to find themselves in. Because when you look at Tottenham, there was a lot of question marks around them and not a lot of question marks around Newcastle. That's purely because of expectation. There's no expectation on Newcastle's behalf because they're almost expedited where they should be. Whereas Tottenham under Conte, you know, there's a bit of expectation. They spent a good amount of money uh, under him. And now you're seeing Newcastle are struggling to completely execute games, whereas Tottenham have got a little bit more potency back. And that's purely because Kane, again, it goes back to the topic, Kane shows up regardless of what goes on in his career. Mm. And I think that's the biggest difference between Newcastle and Tottenham is that Kane in the last half of the season is like a bit of a racehorse where he languishes behind a little bit and then suddenly he'll score 10 goals in the last 10 games and he'll get you there. And I think with Conte, especially, I don't know if anyone saw the clip with Conte and Kane at the end in the, he was on the phone to him from his hospital bed. I thought that was a really monumental moment for me because Conte sometimes feels like a them and us manager where he's like, you guys need to buy these players so I can be successful. Mm. And the fact he like rang him up personally, was like, I'm proud of you. Mm. You know, it was almost like a bit of a father figure type moment. I don't know if that went up in Harry Kane's estimation, but also Conte's estimation as well. But I think 
Tottenham will be closely following the heels of Newcastle because I think Manchester United are too consistent at the moment to be displaced. Personal opinion. I, I think it's going to be as is. I think that top think, four, as it stands, will be the think top Newcastle four. Newcastle will remain? I think they'll hang on to it. But you're right, there is a concern about their form at the moment, particularly when you look at the teams they've drawn against yep. who are the teams you'd expect it, it, to be. You always see this. Palace, when a team's, Leeds, West Ham. When a team's in a cup final, you always see this. Yeah. This happens yeah, all the time. All and, it, the time. and it's a massive cup final for Newcastle United. It's the first chance they've had at silverware in... I don't know how long. Probably this, since the Kevin Keegan season. Whereas I, I think on the flip side for Manchester United, they've got these Barcelona games coming up, which are almost like, not cup finals, but it's knockout football. So it's not like they're going to take their eye off of that but ball it, because it, of the Carabao. But is it's it, what we talk know? about like in terms of experience as well, isn't it? The experience of a team. And we talked about England during the Euros and the World Cup, not having that final experience, that maturity to get to the next stage. Manchester United, even though the players on the pitch, and there are plenty of players on the pitch that do have that experience and that maturity, there's something about the ethos of a club and the status of a club where the pressure's different because Manchester United are expected to be in these places. They, the Even like the, the emotions of the fans that are around it, for example, it's just a given. Yeah. Whereas for Newcastle United, there is so much suddenly on that. So you can understand how it would be a bit of a distraction. Honestly, there's so much to look forward to in English football over the next few weeks, let alone the rest of the season. And you will not miss anything when it comes to the top flight of the beautiful game in this country. If you hit subscribe on Football Social Daily, new podcasts from Monday to Friday, including on a Wednesday where we speak to a former Premier League personality. This week, it'll be Wes Brown. In a couple of weeks, you'll hear from Trevor Stephen. We've also got some cool stuff lined up with some other players as well. And you will not want to miss it. So make sure you do, as I say, hit that subscribe button but from Joel, Jim and I that is it and we will speak to you tomorrow on Football Social Daily Football Social Daily is a voice work sport production for the Sports Social Podcast Network